Lord Jesus, we thank you for your friendship, for walking with us through everything, for letting us throw our burdens down at your feet, for sympathizing with us when we're weak, understanding, forgetting it, because, because we know our weakness, we know our failures, they're right in front of our face. We felt them this week, and yet we know you've met us in them. You carried them on the cross. Thank you for the celebration of knowing that you're with us, that you, that you uh, help us, that you see our triumphs and our joys, and that we can follow you, that we can get pointed in the right directions, that we can uh, listen to your voice and follow it, that somehow mysteriously our our spirit can connect to yours. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for all that you do. I pray as we look to your word now, look at your prayers, that it would show us how to pray. Thank you for this time offered to you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. If you look at the huddle today, it's not filled with a lot of confidence. That the twelve have seen it all. They've seen miracles, they've seen demons cast out, they've seen sight to the blind, they've heard stories, parables, deep teachings that have made them scratch their heads. They've heard it all and they've seen it all over the last three years. But, if you look at the huddle today, it's not filled with confidence Talk of death will do that to you. Talk of death like, in a little while, everyone's going to hate you. And they're going to want to kill you. And they're going to think in killing you, they're giving service to God. And then, the bottom drops out. It's sobering enough to talk about death, but, but at the very least, you understand that you're going through this with the rabbi. I mean, after all, he can raise the dead. So if you face death, it's not quite as terrifying, right? But then they find out that their rabbi's leaving. And it's just not clear how that's going to work. Where is he going? When's this going to happen? Who does that leave them with? What's... And then he says, I want to be really clear with you what's going on here. I'm, I'm not going to talk in metaphors or hard language. I'm just telling you, I'm going to my Father, you're going to stay here, and you're going to experience my Father's love. In fact, it's going to be good for you that I go, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. It's going to be good. And then they finally say, oh, thank you for talking to us just clearly. We believe you. We believe you. And then Jesus does something wonderful for them, and typical Jewish posture He looks up towards the heavens and he prays. And what he prays is what they need to hear in that moment. What he prays is what they need from the Father in that moment. It's not a long prayer. It's about 650 words. It's about three and a half minutes long to pray it. But with prayer, according to Jesus, it seems like it's not usually about the quantity of words, 
but always about the quality of the words. And these words are, they're deep, they're remarkable. There's no way we're going to get to the depth of them here, but we'll go as far as we can. I want us to look at, not the Lord's Prayer, I want to look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. So would you grab a Bible, uh, take one from the pew if you need one, and turn to John chapter 17. We'll look at the first five verses today, but I just want to read the whole thing. So you get a feel for where this, where this thing is going. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, that was predicting persecution and I'm going away and God, the Lord loves you, the Father loves you, but people will hate you. All that, all the hard stuff. After Jesus said all of that, he looked up to heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of this world any more than I am of this world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me, those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you, uh, that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity, that the world may know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you've given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, 
Though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And then Jesus walks towards his death following that prayer. So a few things you should notice as we look over this prayer. We're going to spend four weeks on it. uh, And you should notice a few things. First of all, it's a very Trinitarian prayer. Like all throughout the whole thing, it's very much like, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. I glorify the Father, the Father glorifies me. It's hugely like Jesus is God, and God is Jesus, and the Father and Him are one. And you see that throughout the whole thing. You also see that there's a lot of glory being given all around. We'll talk about that this morning. Most of it applies more directly to Jesus' first disciples. Like I said earlier, I think they needed to hear this because Jesus was about to die and leave and that was going to be hugely sorrowful. As you know, after Jesus died, they weren't filled with some hope of resurrection. They were actually, they felt very defeated. So this is a prayer for them. But there's also clearly indication that he's also praying for us, people down the line years later that would believe in him. So we can learn from this prayer. And lastly, I would just remind you again, it was prayed in light of Jesus' death. So we've got to keep that in mind. So I want to look at verses 1 through 5. Um, let me tell you why we're looking at this. Um, I love knowing, and I feel like usually I haven't known this, but, but I love knowing where the church is going for the year. I, I love there to be a theme. I love there to be this is what we want to focus on this year. Because there's a lot of things in church we'll do over and over again, and and they're good. They're very good. But when there's kind of a a central push towards something, I think that's a wonderful thing for the church. I think it's good for us. So our theme this year is never stop praying out of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Probably a very easy verse to memorize because it's just three words. Uh, I'd I'd like that to be our theme verse this year. I want to start this year by spending four weeks in the high priestly prayer, thinking about it, praying about it. After this service for cross-training, I'd like to meet over here in the library and and pray together and and do that. Every week we look at this to to do some prayer together after the service. So uh, let's take a look at what Jesus is saying here. So first thing he does is pray for himself. So look at verse 1 again. It says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. There is the prayer request. Jesus' first request is, Father, would you glorify me so that I can glorify you? And when we talk about glory, and I know we've talked about glory a lot here, so this will be just a refresher for some of you, but we're talking about the beauty of God. We're talking about His glorious attributes, so, so the beauty of His many attributes and perfections. So, You could talk about the glory of his love or the glory of his holiness. It's who he is and the shining forth in beauty of all that God is. That's his glory. And Jesus says, I want you to glorify me so that I can glorify you, that I I, I can give you praise, I can give you honor, I, I can reflect who you are to the world. Would you glorify me? The time has come. So, this passage, we're saying primarily, this first section is glory. Now, maybe that sounds a little strange because uh, 
obviously the Lord wants to glorify himself. I believe it's Isaiah 42 where God says, I will not yield my glory to another. You know, so, so God is committed to his own glory. Everything he does is to his own glory. So you're asking God to do what he already wants to do. So when you pray and if you said, God, glorify yourself, what you're saying is, God, do what you want to do. Because we, we know you're committed to this. And if that sounds redundant, don't let it, because Jesus did the Lord's Prayer. And he, what was the first part of the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. Hallow your name is a, an appeal to God to glorify himself in, in great ways. It's an awesome prayer request because if God does glorify himself in your life, there's going to be some pretty amazing things happening in your life by which God gets glory. Even sickness. Even the difficult things. But he's going to do some other things too that, that are just going to reveal how awesome he is, how beautiful he is. He's going to do great things in your life to show himself off because that's who he is. So the prayer that God would glorify himself might seem redundant because you know he wants to, but it's not because there's all sorts of specific ways in which God takes glory. Now, that's what I want to do here. I want to, I want to look at the specific ways that Jesus says you want to glorify yourself through the Son. What are some of those specific examples? Okay, so first is the glory of the cross. I mean, he said uh, in verse 1, Father, the time has come. Well, what time is that? The time of death. And then he says, you granted him authority to give eternal life. How is eternal life given? By dying on the cross. And then you look at verse 4, and this one's very interesting to me. Verse 4, there's a past tense verb, and I love that because it, it makes you go, what? Um, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. By completing the work. I completed the work. Like it's already done. And if you read this and you go, well, wait a minute. John 18 is Jesus arrested. John 19, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. Uh, John 19 is the crucifixion. And Jesus is praying before the crucifixion and saying, I'm done. You, you don't get to say you're done until you're done. You know, that, that, that's how it normally works with us. But Jesus says, I gave you glory on earth and I completed the work. I'm done. And I don't know what that means other than to say, the only thing that I can make sense in my brain is that Jesus is saying, I'm determined to go to the cross. There's nothing that's going to stop me. I'm going. And I'm going to give the Father glory. I, I am totally determined to do it because that's what the Father has in His will for my life. It's the cross. And so, Jesus gives the Father glory by going to the cross, and the Father glorifies Jesus in the cross. Uh, check out, there's a few interesting verses here in John that talk about how Jesus submits to the Father's will, and we know that includes going to the cross. Can we start putting some of those up? Uh, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. So he's depending on the Father for everything he does. Next verse. Uh, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just. 
for I seek not to please myself in Him who sent me. I myself can do nothing. Jesus, the Son of God, Deity, God, can do nothing by Himself. An odd thing to admit, being God. Next verse. Uh, The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. I always do what pleases him. Next verse. Uh, Now my heart is troubled. Oh, this is interesting. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. There's the hour of his death again referred to. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So, So he's saying, Father, would you glorify yourself through my submission to you and going to the cross? And this is what happens. A voice comes from heaven and says, I've glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. I love that. You know, you need to hear this. I didn't need to hear this. I already knew this. I, I know that this is exactly what's supposed to happen. I think there's some people in the church... For, for them, this is like, it's kind of an embarrassing thing that, that Jesus is totally um, dependent on the Father. That doesn't sound very divine. doesn't sound very supernatural, all-powerful, omnipotent. To depend on the Father doesn't sound very omniscient when you have to do only what the Father does, what the Father tells you to do. But in this is the Trinity, that Jesus and the Father are completely equals. Equals. And yet Jesus depends on the Father and voluntarily submits himself to the Father. Total equality and yet voluntary submission. I'm only doing what the Father wants me to do. And I'm doing it to bring glory to him. Um, I find that amazing. Because um, I... I I have some good analogies today. Some are very man-oriented. Some are women-oriented. You'll know which one's which probably. Um, But are you ever like, you know, you're you're at that party, barbecue, whatever, whatever, and and someone hands you a can to open. It's the pickles or something, and, and you put your hands on it and you try to open it, but you can't. How long, men, do you keep trying before you hand it to someone next to you? Well, how long's the barbecue? You know, uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna crank on that thing, and you're not giving up, and you know why you're not giving up. You don't want to look weak. You don't want to look dependent on somebody else, and you know the pickle jar people. They did this on purpose. I don't know. Um, but then there's but but that's you're cranking on it for like a minute. We'll say, well, two minutes. We'll say, yeah. There's a guy next to you. Now you're getting kind of embarrassed because people are starting to look. You know that feeling they're looking now? That's, that's even worse, you know, because when you have an audience to your weakness, that's the worst. And they're looking at your weakness. And then one of your friends says, let me try. And you don't want to give it over, but then you know it looks prideful if you don't. And how long are you really going to go at it? The pickle's one, you know. So you hand it over to the, your friend, and he takes it and pops. And then you say the same thing you always said in grade school. It's amazing you're saying it decades later. What do you say? I loosened it. I loosened it. Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> what, 
we don't want to look weak. And I hate that feeling. I hate it when someone comes into the rescue. Maybe you ladies like that. I don't know what you like, but men hate that. But it happens. It happens to all of us. Well, not some of you strong guys. I know that. But um, it happens to all of us. There's something we can't do, we can't figure out, and someone comes to the rescue. Um, And yet Jesus totally embraces that limitation, doesn't he? He's just like, I can't do anything on my own. Can't do it. Nothing. Nothing. And, And I can't do anything the Father doesn't tell me to do. Nothing. Total dependence. Going to the cross and submitting myself. It glorifies God when we show how much we need Him. When situations in our life are so difficult that the only way we can get through them is with the Father's help. And that means we'll be weak. And that means people will be looking at us. And they'll be talking about us. Maybe they'll even say something stupid like we looked at last week. Who sinned? that this is going on in that person's life. You know, who sinned? They must have done something, you know. There are going to be stupid things said to us that people don't get. But you're going to know, I, I'm just weak. And the Father's strong and He wants to glorify Himself through this. And so Jesus goes to the cross, makes Himself weak, and brings glory to the Father, and the Father glorifies Him. It, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I think Jesus talked about it in the past tense, because he knew there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop him from doing this. <clears throat> Number two. Uh, the second thing that, that brings the Father glory here and that glorifies the Son, uh, Jesus talks about this pre-creation glory. This pre-creation. Did you catch this? Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's pretty awesome. Glorify me with the glory I had before the world began. I don't know that I know what this really means. Uh, I was thinking about it like, why didn't Jesus say glorify me with the glory I had in your presence? Like before I came to earth. We call, when Jesus took on flesh, we call that the incarnation. He, he took on flesh. He took on a body. But Jesus goes back to, like, pre-creation. And I'm sure he also prayed this in some ways for our benefit. That we would know that in eternity past, before the world was made, there was, well, it's kind of before time, but since we know what time is, you could say there's millions of years, billions of years, there was forever back then, and Jesus enjoyed this close relationship with the Father. He had this amazing glory. Once God made the world, there were certain people that wanted to see His glory, experience it. But, but Israel was always kind of scared because they always thought to see God's glory, it would kill you. You couldn't, you couldn't see that beauty and that brightness. It would just, it would just destroy you. Um, remember Moses in Exodus, I believe? Uh, Moses is worried and he's saying, God, I'm not going to go into the promised land without you. Tell me you're going with me. And then Moses says, show me your glory. He has to see God's glory. And then God says, I will cause all of my, he doesn't say glory, he says, I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. 
Now that's interesting. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, ah, okay, I'm going to show my goodness. I'm going to proclaim my name to you. And, and, and somehow he, Moses is kind of hidden in this cleft of the rock and God passes by and it's almost like Moses sees the tail end of God's glory. He sees God's goodness. And again, I don't understand all of that, but I do understand John 1. Can we put that up, John 1? So when you think about Moses and you think about, I want to see God's glory, and God's like, I can't show you all my glory. And then you get to John 1 and you're like, the Word became flesh. Jesus took on flesh, made His dwelling among us. And then John says something amazing, something that people in the Old Testament kind of wanted to see, but they were kind of scared to see it because who knows what would happen to you. And John says, we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies about Him. He cries out saying, this is the one whom I said, He who comes after me is surpassing because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we've received one blessing after another. And here's the Moses connection that I was just talking about. You want to say, how do I know John was thinking about Moses when he wrote this? Well, he says it right here. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. There it is again. There's a longing to see Him, but you can't see Him. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. People who saw Jesus in the flesh saw God's glory. There was a fleshly veil somehow going on. Because to see Jesus wasn't to die, you know. But somehow Jesus is a revelation of God's glory. But there's still more glory to be given him because Jesus says, would you give me the glory I had with you before the world was made? So Jesus reveals it, but at the same time, there's more to come. And he's telling his disciples, I'm leaving you, but but there's going to be a reunion. You know... I was thinking about this like uh, when your loved ones travel, when they're gone for a while. Uh, this is like when, remember when Christy was in Uganda and I'm back here, and, and you Skype or you phone call. And it's good to hear their voice, you know. I, I, I heard one of my mentors once said, I hadn't talked to him in a while, and I called an uh, old mentor, and he said, it's just good to hear your voice. Anyone ever said that to you? Just, just the phone call and your voice is a good thing. But, but none of that matches the wonder of sitting across the table from the person. It's always better to be in physical presence with that person. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. I mean, it's not that Jesus didn't reveal God's glory. He did. And it's not that Jesus didn't have an awesome relationship with his Father on earth. He did. He spent nights in prayer But he didn't have that in heaven, in the throne room, together sitting on the throne as the triune God. That wasn't happening while Jesus was on earth. And I think it's fair to say he was longing for that. Wouldn't you? It's fine to see you on Skype. It's fine to talk to you on the phone. I love hearing your voice. But to sit across from you, to be with you, that is the best that's the best. That, that's one of our longings for heaven, to be reunited with loved ones, believers that have gone before us. To be with them. And Jesus is longing to be with His Father. Pre-creation glory. 
Number three, lastly, we'll say this. Um, there's the glory of eternal life. Jesus said it like this. Uh, he said, verse 2, 4, so he, first he says, glorify your son, glorify me. Then he says, for you granted him, meaning Jesus, to have authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. There's something glorious about the giving of eternal life. There's something beautiful when a sinner bows the knee and says, I'm giving my life to you, God. It's glorious. Because in that moment, heaven's rejoicing, and it says Jesus is getting glory for himself because he's giving out eternal life. Now, he bought it on the cross, but he also gives it. And not only does he give it, but I I love that he defines it here too. If you like definitions, then you're going to love verse 3. What is eternal life? Uh, Earlier in John, we talked about, uh, over Christmas, we talked about how life equals light. Life is light. But here's a nice definition for you in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? To know God and to know Jesus. That is eternal life. The word is uh, know, and it's, it's uh, the word, uh, I know gnosko is the noun. I, wrote, I think I wrote the verb down here too, hopefully. I don't see it. Man. Gnosko. Well, gnosko is the noun. I think it's gnoskosin. There it is. Yeah, gnoskosin. Uh, gnoskin is one of the, uh, I remember being one of the first words I had to learn in Greek in, in college uh, because it's used all over the place, and it's a wonderful word, know. <clears throat> and... When we think of knowing, like we know something, we think like intellectual knowledge. No, knowledge. I read the book. I know. I know. Their word know, gnosko, or the verb gnoskosin, uh, is to know from personal, firsthand experience. I know you. I'm in relationship with you. It's a relational word, which is why Jesus would say at Judgment Day, Depart from me. He says to some people, depart from me, I never knew you. Of course, he knows who they are. He's Jesus. But he doesn't have a relationship with them. He doesn't know them in a relational, personal, first-hand sort of way. He hasn't given them the gift of eternal life. So the gift of eternal life is glorious because it means knowing God personally. This example is for the ladies. And it might not work because I'm not a lady, but I, th- I, think, I think it'll work. I think it'll work. Um, a lot of ladies experience this day, the day when a guy gets on his knee and says, will you marry me? And that almost never happens without a gift. I mean, I guess it could happen without a gift. Maybe it happened to you without it. I don't know. But it almost never happens without a gift. He opens that box up, and there's that ring with a diamond in it, or diamonds in it. And, and, and she cries, and she says yes, hopefully. And uh, she p- puts that ring on her finger. And then they, they, they go back home. She goes to church, or she gets with her friends. And uh, I should have had Christy do this. This is going to look bad, but she goes, look at this, <laughs> you know. And they take a picture and they put it on Facebook. 
But it's like, look at this, look at this. And, and they take her hand and they look at... I've never taken another woman's hand and said, oh, look at that ring. Oh, man. How much did he spend? Oh, that hurts just looking at it, you know? Um, I've, never, I've never taken a woman's hand and admired her ring. Never. I don't think I've ever asked to see a woman's ring, you know? Like, I know she's engaged, and I'll go up and I'll say, congratulations, that's great. Have you told Christy? Because she's the one that's going to go up and go, oh, look at that, you know? And then when she does it, everybody will know in the room. In the fellowship hall, everybody will know someone's engaged. That's how it's going to go down. I've seen it happen. Nobody knew she was engaged, and then my wife finds out. Everybody knows. There it is. There's the ring. That's not bad. That's not bad. You, all, you women do this. I've seen it over and over again. Over and over. Now, what if, what if you were in the fellowship hall as a young lady, and you were wearing a ring, and it's got diamonds in it, and, and you walked in, and people said, oh, look at that ring, and they're looking at it. Oh, my goodness, come over here, look at the ring. Oh, my goodness, who got this for you? What if you said, well, I did. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know you were dating anybody. I'm not. I just wanted a diamond ring. That's what I wanted. I like diamonds. Girl's best friend. I got diamonds. Do people celebrate? Oh, she went out and bought herself a ring. That's awesome. Look at the ring. Look at look at that. Ah, uh, nobody does that. I mean, look, I've seen women admire other women's jewelry. I know that happens. I, I get it. It's okay. I know that happens. But when there's a relationship attached to that, piece of jewelry, that's what matters. Was that a good analogy? Was that that work? Okay, okay. So, uh, boy. Um, so, God gives eternal life. And it's nice that you're not going to have to go to hell. That's a benefit of eternal life. No hell for you. Um, you get to live forever in heaven. There's going to be streets of gold. There's going to be good work to do in heaven. You're going to see people in heaven. Lots of great things in heaven. Lots of great things on earth about having eternal life and not worrying about your destiny, where you're going. But the ring only symbolizes the relationship. That's it. The eternal life. There's lots of wonderful things about eternal life. But the main thing is that you know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that as you go through this life, you're knowing them more and more and more. And when you get to heaven, you get to see Him in all of His glory. The gift of eternal life is not just about what I don't have to do, and that is go to hell. It's about a relationship with God. That's why we say that. The ring is symbolic of the relationship. It's the gift. All right, I'd love to apply this passage in a few ways to your prayer life. You may have your own applications. I always kind of feel funny, like, I'm not into spoon feeding. You may have your own applications, but here's a few to get you started. Like, what would I do with this passage to help my prayer life? Uh, number one, maybe you can balance your activity, your, your busyness, with prayerfulness. Jesus says, I've done everything you want me to do. And, and you get the impression that he's done a lot. And as, as we looked at the whole prayer, he, he's talking about how he, he 
manifested God's name to his disciples. He gave them his word. Like Jesus has done all sorts of things over his three-year ministry, wonderful things to bring glory to the Father. But he also balanced all of that ministry activity with prayerfulness. Is that what you do? I find that people fall on the spectrum somehow in one or two ways. There's people over here that are so active they don't pray, and then there's people over here that can be so prayerful they don't act. You know? I think in our American culture, we're more over here, probably. But I've met a few people over here, too. There's balance. There's balance here. I act in the will of God because that's what Jesus does, and I pray because I need that fuel for the soul. I need to, I need to spend time in my relationship with my Father. Number two, uh, we can seek to know how God wants to glorify himself. I love this because Jesus is talking and he's like, I, when, you, when you see how Jesus talks about his ministry, he's always saying, I'm doing what the Father wanted. I depend on the Father. I can't do anything except for the, through the Father. Everything is dependent. Uh, do you depend on God like that for what you need to do? Do you ask him, God, what do you think I should do before you make a decision? I believe in prayer we seek the Father's will. We, 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 we do Romans 12. We, we try to discern what is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We, we transform our mind. Prayer does that. It transforms our mind as we relate to the Father. I'm guessing the Father has a lot of things He wants you to do. It's just a question of whether you listen. Are you hearing it? Number three. Maybe we could apply this passage by making sure we focus our prayers. And it could be the beginning. It could be all the way through. Maybe the word begin is not the best word there, but uh, that we focus on the glory of God. God, how do you want to glorify yourself through me? How do you want to do that? Um, I want people to see Jesus in me. When I talk to people, when I act, I want Jesus to be at the center of everything. I I want to bring glory to God. God, how do you want to bring glory through my life? And God may say something and put his finger right on it. It might be something painful like, you know that hard thing in your life? You've got to stop complaining about it and giving me glory through it. You know, and you're like, oh, well, it's, it's, it's easier to complain. No, I want you to give me glory through it. But begin your prayers focusing on the glory of God. Hallowed be your name. I want to transition here and just spend maybe five minutes on, hopefully five minutes on uh, vision for this year. I'm going to do that this week and next week. I want to talk um, about who we are as a church. Um, We are a simple church, and when we say that, it's kind of based on this book called Simple Church. And uh, the idea behind it is we don't want to do a hundred different things. We don't want you running from here and there and everywhere trying to keep up with our programming. We want to do a few things and do them well. This year we want to do prayer well. We, want to do our, our, we also want to do our small groups well. So what I want to talk about just at the end here is um, a vision for small group ministry at the church um, and what that looks like. So if you have your notes, pull, bring those out in the bulletin. I just want to talk through a community group strategy. You could read this on your own, but I just want to give a little explanation for it. Our mission is connecting people to God through Jesus Christ, growing to be like Christ, and serving others. Sometimes people talk about that as evangelism. 
uh, discipleship service. That's our mission. That's what we're here for. Jesus knew his mission. We better know our mission if we're going to bring glory to God. Number two, though, and number two connects to number one because the A, B, and C line up. How, how do you get connected at this church? If you've got people, you love to see them connect here, what's the pathway in? Well, A, I think they start by going to a worship service. And then hopefully they stay at some point. Hopefully they say, these people aren't too crazy. I think I might stay for coffee. I think I might go down in the fellowship hall. Uh, they probably won't call it the fellowship hall if they don't know about church. But, you know, you'll let them know it's all fellowship there. So um, Sunday conversations will happen. Here in this room, in the downstairs room, you'll meet somebody and you'll talk to them. We want to see that happen. And then hopefully they come to cross-training and they can see, like, we talk about the Word here too. We discuss it. We pray over it. There's things going on here where we don't just listen to the sermon, but we want to do what it says. B, the next step in, I, I, I really want to make the central, is rooted, which many of us went through last year. Get in a rooted group. Encourage your friends to be in a rooted group. We have some coming up this year. We'll announce those soon. Um, and then after that, community groups. Now, I know you can flip-flop these. That's okay. But uh, get in a community group. Get in a small group. Uh, and then lastly, membership. Uh, become a member of the church. There's a sign-up downstairs right now for the membership class. Consider signing up for that. And then part C is serving in a ministry. Now, how do you get into a group? This is important. How do you get into a small group? Well, number three then, Jim, if you want to put that up, is there's an invitation by the group leader. Churches do this differently. And some of you come from big churches where they have like small group connection events, you know, like you all get together on a Sunday night and everybody signs up for a small group. That's cool. I think in the Northwoods, probably the best way to do community group attendance and getting people to join your group is inviting them. I don't, I don't know anybody that would hate being invited into a group. You know, like, please, never invite me again. I hate the idea. You know, it, it's, it's personal to be invited. So do the invitation. Secondly, though, we will have sign-up sheets on the table in the fellowship hall. There's only two down there right now. We're going to be adding more as the weeks go on. But that's secondary. We'll have sign-ups here at the church. Those group sign-ups typically occur in January, June, and September. And we're in January, so we're heading into that time right now. That's how you get into a group. Uh, number four, group values. Um, I would say we have three values that we want all of our community groups to have. One is to be relational, that relationships are prioritized in the group. Uh, what I mean by that is members celebrate life together. So let's say someone doesn't have groceries. What do you do? Well, we have the food pantry. That, that's great. But what if you want to do something? Or what if they need to repair their car? Certainly we can use funds from our benevolence fund, but there's also that element of group care where like, we'll, we'll do something. We'll come over to your house and work on your car. Uh, something's going on. We'll pray for you. We'll call you that week. It, it's awesome that I can call people and ask them how they're doing. And, and I do that. But I think for the future of the church, it also has to be, people in a small group calling each other. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? It's ministry to each other that are in the group. So that's relational. B, uh, missional. I'm asking that your community group does one service project in the community per session. We'll talk about sessions in a second. 
you can be creative in this, or you can call the church for suggestions, but I'm asking that if your group is a 10-week group on marriage, I'm asking that for one of those weeks, uh, for one of those times, you think, how am I going to go into the community and serve people? We had yard work done last time. We had uh, you know, nursing home visits. We had the water station at the half marathon. We had all sorts of stuff, people, creative ways people served, uh, buying groceries. All that stuff happened last time when we did Rooted. I'd like to see that com- continue one project per study. Uh, C, uh, where am I at? Transformation. Uh, the Bible's got to be part of your group, and prayer's got to be part of your group. If, if, you're, if your group has nothing to do with the Bible, you're not going to see the transformation. If your group doesn't pray, you won't see transformation. You want to see these things in your group. They're transformational, to be like Christ. All right, next one. Number five, uh, the length of groups. Um, community groups typically meet six to 12 weeks per study. That, that's pretty common. I think the lower end is six, and the higher end is usually 12. That's what you can expect if you've never been in a group before. Uh, B, groups are, should be considered closed after the second week. So if your group is perpetually open, I know some groups have that in their DNA. I don't know that any of our groups here at the church have that. I'm not totally against it. I'm only saying typically for a group to gel and bond, they need to close their membership at some point and say, now we're moving together as a group. Typically, that's the best way to do it. C, um, some community groups will be closed to new members. What I mean by that is some groups, by their very nature, will not advertise here at church. They've already got their people. They've got enough people by personal invitation, and they're just going to be closed, and that's okay. I'm saying it's okay. Some are going to be open to new members but have the same core members. What I mean by that is um, I've led groups where it seems like from study to study to study, I had the same core five or six people. But every new study I did, I gained some new people. And they come in for a study and then they jump out. And, they, and different people come in for the next study. That's cool too. You can have the same core and just add a few new faces every time. I think that's pretty typical. Um, so. And then finally, sessions. There are three primary sessions to offer community groups I'm calling them sessions so we have a way to talk about this. There's kind of the February to April session. That's session one. Uh, June to August is session two. Obviously, that's when our uh, Honey Rock staff are gone and they're all of our summer uh, vacationers and cottage owners, they're in. So that's a time of transition. I don't expect a ton of small groups in summer. That's just kind of how it goes here, I believe. I, I'm okay with that. And then there's September to November, which is, which is session three. Uh, next. During session three, that's the fall, the church is going to attempt, we're gonna, I, I mean, we're, we're trying to do this, to do a community group study together that connects with the sermon, just like Rooted last year. So if you were here in the fall, we did Rooted, and Rooted 10 weeks connected with the sermon for 10 weeks. We were all in alignment there. A lot of people said that was wonderful. Can we do it again? And right now, what we're going to attempt is, can we get on the same page once a year and be totally aligned as a church with our small groups and our sermon and the whole thing? This fall, I'm preaching through heaven, and we're, we're going to look at Randy Alcorn's book and do it together. Um, 
B or C, lastly, during sessions one and two, groups can either choose their own study or use one recommended by the church that corresponds with the sermon theme. So what I'm saying is, if you want to lead a group, you don't know what to lead, you can ask the church for help. If you know what you want to lead and you know the study you want to do, let us know and we'll give publicity to it, you know, unless you're studying something uh, totally not theological or t- totally, uh, uh, what would I say, in error, false teaching. We, we, call, we call that out. Otherwise, it's good. So sessions one and two, choose your own or ask us for recommendations. Session three, we'll try to go through something together. Make sense? All right. Um, the worship team, would you come up at this time? And close this out. I want to say this as they're coming up. Um, maybe.